Moldova, a little bit about missions, a little bit what God is doing in my, my and our lives. I am Andy Rotz. I have a wife, three beautiful wife, three beautiful girls. Um, my middle daughter, Natalie, is here today. She's sitting over there in the green. You can greet her afterwards. The other three I had to take off to get ready for some, a Bible camp that's starting tomorrow. But you can grab a picture of them afterwards. You can get the, the four good-looking ones in the picture. You know, you get stuck with me up front here. But grab a picture, back, a card back there at the table. I got a photo book. You can see some pictures of Moldova afterwards. If you want to get our newsletters, we do a no-spam newsletter just to kind of keep you up to date how to pray about Moldova. I'd love to have you write your email address down. I'll keep in contact with you. But we are glad. I, we are just glad to be here. I'm glad to share with you a little bit about Moldovan missions you're going to see some pictures of mine that I've taken over the years. Just to give you a little visual of what Moldova looks like. Because I always get the same two questions. Where in the world is Moldova? And why did you go there? How many of you have any idea where in the world is Moldova? Let's see. How many hands here? Oh, that's pretty good. How many of you were in first service and heard me talk about it? That's probably No, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> Moldova is a tiny little country. It used to be a part of the Soviet Union. So when the old USSR broke apart, Many years ago, that came into existence. It's kind of hardly anybody hears about it. Uh, it's right between Romania and Ukraine. So kind of this little small country sandwiched between the two of them. Very broken country, very poor, poorest country in all of Europe. And shattered in many ways with corruption and infrastructure. I was kidding to say, we've got potholes in our roads big enough to do water baptisms in. I mean, they are just some serious holes. And Moldova last year by the World Health Organization was listed as the highest alcohol consumption per capita of any nation in the world. Not really a great stat that you want to be proud of. We're number one. Another one was Time Magazine three years ago had us listed as the unhappiest country in the world. That's a bumper sticker I'm going to print. You know, too much happiness, too much joy. Come to Moldova and we'll suck you dry. I mean, that is our goal in life. Both of those, the alcohol rate and the really the unhappiness rate, both are indicative of a spiritual lostness. People don't have any hope that life can get better, that they can find any hope in Christ. Their hope is, I'm going to leave the country, get out of here. I'm going to go find a job somewhere else. I'm going to do something. And they can never anchor themselves in Jesus Christ. God has called us to go there because we believe there's only one antidote toward hopelessness. And what is it? Jesus Christ, the blessed hope, right? And that is the antidote. So we want to see the church grow and make an impact. We went to Moldova because God called us. I know that sounds like that simple word. I am not, I'm not a PK, a pastor's kid, or an MK, missionary kid. I am a CK. That's a carpenter's kid. Um, that's all I grew up doing. I'm your ordinary Joe kind of guy. Okay, I've logged, built homes, uh, farmed, uh, worked every kind of little odd job you can imagine. That's my background. How God ever got me into pastoring? That's always a interesting story because. Through high school, I just wanted to get a dog, move to the Yukon, and trap for a living. Just me and a dog would have been great. You know, that was my idea. And somehow I found myself pastoring, working with youth. And all of a sudden, many years later, we were pastoring in Montana. And God began to speak to us about missions. Well, I walked home from a service where a missionary spoke and said to my wife, I wonder if God is going to speak to us, calling us into missions. My, Nancy's eyes got really big. What in the world are you thinking? You know, we were happy there. We love. There's nice things about America. I mean, smooth roads, you know, outdoors, mountains. You like these kind of things. And it started us on a journey where we begin to pray, God, are you really calling us into missions? Probably two months. I mean, I, I took time fasting and praying, God, is this really you or just some harebrained idea that I had? I was at the church sanctuary early one morning. I was pacing back and forth, and I was reading my scripture saying, God, I need to hear from you. Is this really you? And the Bible fell open really at that point. And I don't say this very often, but... 
kind of those one of the strange things you're reading and reading, and all of a sudden you get to the point where people give Jesus excuses. Lord, I just got some new oxen. I can't follow you right now. Let's translate that. Lord, I just got a new pickup. I just want to drive a few miles. Then I'll, you know, then I'll follow you. The second guy said, my father just died. Let me go back and bury him. And what did Jesus respond? Let the dead bury the dead. And it was right at that instant that God spoke to my heart and said, Andy, quit making excuses. We're all good with excuses, right? You know, it used to be the dog gave my homework. Now it's a computer crash. But we will make excuses some form and some fashion. So I called my parents a couple hours later, and I talked to my dad. And I said, Dad, I just, I don't know. I feel like maybe God is calling us into missions. And the very first words out of my dad's mouth were, why don't you wait until I'm dead first? Okay, I am not exaggerating that. You ever had Twilight Zone music in the background going, do-do-do-do, you know, you're hearing it all. What's going on here? And so that is why God called us into missions. We began to pray about where. We asked questions about all the needs in different countries from Albania to Russia to Armenia, everywhere around there. Had a heart for Eastern Europe. I mentioned Moldova one time in the list, and Nancy said, Moldova, we're not going there. I've never even heard of that country before. So we began to pray about it. And one night, in the middle of the night, I had a dream, a picture of myself standing before a group of people like this. And I heard myself say, we are so excited to be your missionaries to Moldova. And I stopped and went, Moldova? Just like that. And the voice I heard coming back to me was, Moldova. Moldova? Moldova. Moldova, 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 Moldova. And God and I had this very profound conversation. And I woke up, 3.45 in the morning, September 19, 2001, and said to Nancy, the only place we need to go is Moldova. And she said, oh, I could have told you that six weeks ago. Rolled back over and went back to sleep. She was waiting for God to finally get through my thick skull. So she was wondering, why don't you know? And that is why we're there. So we served now in Moldova. It's a little over nine years. Nine, year, nine years ago, a little over nine years ago, we landed in Moldova. 17 suitcases, three little girls, the first time in the country, and started on a journey. It was an adventure. It really is. We went there with the great focus and intention of planting and building churches, working with pastors, doing whatever we could to build the church. I am passionate about that. Without the church, unless the ministry is tied to the church, it's not worth doing. We have to see the church. Moldova is one of those places where, I mean, I have 700 villages without any kind of church of any kind. And we're trying to plant churches. And it's amazing. Sometimes $5,000 is a building for a church building or you know, 10000 in a bigger place. It's, it doesn't even take a lot of money, and a lot of, but it's a lot of work and a lot of leaders, men and women that have to go in and, and take the, do the hard work of breaking the ground. So we want to see the church planted, one of our main passions. The second one is something we fell into really accidentally. We had known about it, but we didn't really plan on doing it, and that's the issue of trafficking. Moldova is one of the highest source countries for girls that are trafficked into prostitution. In fact, the whole last wave is all out of the former Soviet Union. So much, there's a book, if you care to read more, it's called The Natasha's, written a number of years ago, a little dated but pretty accurate, where the wave of after the Soviet Union fell, how many girls from that area of the world are trafficked, that a slang world and much of the slang word for a prostitute in much of the world is give me a Natasha, a common Russian name. And God called us to that when we were in the country, two weeks probably. Nancy went downtown and happened to meet a, gr- a woman who worked at an NGO. And this woman said, oh, you're with the church. I always wanted to meet one of you. What's the church going to do about trafficking? That was our first response. Yeah, why is the church not doing anything about trafficking? These are their girls. What are they doing? Until God spoke to us and said, uh, you are the church. And it started us on a path that six, about six years ago we started, bought a building, started the construction, finishing of this. Three years ago, we opened the door to Freedom Home Moldova, and it's an aftercare home for survivors of human trafficking. 
Girls that come back after being trafficked are shattered and broken, dead emotionally. The post-traumatic stress is worse than a prisoner of war. And we are there to see God do miracles. There's a scripture I want to share with you. Jeremiah 29, 29-11. If you've been around the church, I'm sure you've heard this verse. If you've been around very often. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, I've read this scripture many times, but my perspective has changed within the last few years. Now, just to be real honest here, if we could write on a piece of paper, what are the plans of prosperity that you would have God give you? If you could say, God, prosper me this way. Maybe some of you would be sitting on a beach in Hawaii, you know, hearing the, having, what is it, 85 degrees there every day, a light wind, no rain, you know, the, the waves washing up at your feet and a lemonade in your hand. Maybe that is your plan of prosperity. Those of us who have much different tastes, you know, we would say it's a 65-inch bull moose right on the bank of the river where you could back the boat up to it, right? I mean, that is, I mean, prosper me right that way, you know, 10 feet to the boat. Uh, my wife, would be every time she'd go to the mall, there'd be a 95% off sale and a 50% off coupon besides. I mean, come on, God, prosper me, prosper me, prosper me. But my perspective has changed because I don't think that is always the prosperity that God wants to give us. Now, there's nothing wrong with a 95% off sale or bull moose on the bank of the river, but we tend to think, God, prosper me for my own comfort. Make things easy for me. God's plans are prosperity, not for our comfort, but for our growth. God wants to prosper us, but he wants to stretch you and grow you and make you more like him. That's really what it's about. Some of the stories, I'll share a few stories here. One of the first one I'll share about the home, Freedom Home. There's a girl, I'll call her Amy. I changed the names just to protect their sake. In fact, you won't see, you didn't see any faces, maybe an accidental face of a girl that's in the home, but we never re-exploit the girls for anything. We really are guarded of their images. And Amy's story started off many years ago, probably, I mean, at least 14 or 15, but I suspect it even happened earlier than that. She was sold by her mother when she was about 14. Her mom sold her. It's hard for us to imagine that. When a mother sold her own child, at first it was to Moscow. She had to beg on the streets of Moscow. She did not bring enough money home that day. She was beaten and raped over and over and over and over again. Now, I... I mean, this is just, uh, there's really nothing more evil than the issue of trafficking. If you could imagine this is your girl or your granddaughter or your sister. I mean, just, that was the, the hell, really, she had to face every day. Years of this. Out of one of those rapes came a, a baby, little Veronica. We pick up the story when she got back to Moldova. I don't even exactly know how she got back. But they, somebody found her out, passed out drunk behind a bus stop the one-year-old laying on the ground next to her, playing in the ground. They called us and said, would you take this girl? She's a mess. We want to put the, or- the girl in an orphanage, uh, the little baby in the orphanage. And we said, no, we'll take- we have to have both together. So this girl that probably was 19 and her child came into the home, and her face was without life. There was no life in her eyes. You ever see like a dog that's lived on the street too long, has been kicked too many times? That's almost what you can imagine, always expecting another kick, always moving out of range. And she walked in, there was no life, there was no love. In fact, the staff, they wouldn't put her in diapers, the little baby in diapers, because 
Nancy said, I'll buy the diapers. Just put her in diapers. She'd wet, the, wet through her clothes all the time. They said, we can't put her in diapers. If we put her in diapers, the mom will never change her clothes. And we have to. She had no concept even of parenting her own, her own child. No chance of understanding of love. If we don't do that, at least she has to change her clothes. Okay. A number of months went by. Why does my baby love all the staff more than she loves me? It's because we love her. Oh, okay. Nothing. It was just all dead. No life in her eyes. There was a day that came probably a year down the road. This ministry is long-term work. You do not, you ever see working with survivors of trafficking, six weeks and they're free, <laughs> just know they're not doing much, okay? I'm not trying to be mean with that. But it takes us a year before they build up trust. A year down the road, she accepted Christ, came to Christ as her Savior. And we saw a resurrection of life, in her eyes at least. She was all of a sudden alive. You saw something there. And every week after that, she'd want to go to the altar. You know, I need to repent again for about two or three months after that. You know, I need to. And we finally, the process of her realizing you are a child of God. And maybe a year down the road, God did some supernatural things in His Spirit that just restored joy to her life. And when we walked in, we saw smiles on her face. And I knew there was a transformation two years down the road of a transformed life. So I fast-forwarded from, you know, in three minutes, a story from one who is dead the resurrection of life to one now who has joy. But even then, there was challenges. Just because you're a follower of Christ, does that mean you're without issues, without problems? I don't think so. I think all of us recognize that. And she, one day we walked over to the home, and this is a year ago last March, so we're looking at about 15, 16 months ago. Walked in the home, and the old Amy was back. Dark eyes talking to herself, and the face, the heavy feeling there. I said, what's going on? Well, she hasn't slept for days. Why? Well, every time she lays down to sleep, she hears voices. There's a voice that comes, and there's almost a physical presence pulling at her hand, a demonic voice saying, leave this place, come out to the terrace, the balcony, suicidal thoughts. And you got it all this work. And we said, why? I mean, this is a battle. There's a battle for lives that are there. And Nancy and I just sat and we prayed with her that night. She slept that night, but we just felt like, you know, we got to come back and just pray and pray for her. So we came back the next day and just Nancy and I sat with Amy and we prayed, just laid hands on her. I asked her, I said, Amy, do you want to be free? Yes. We sat and prayed about 15 minutes. There was no, you know, fireworks or smoke or anything like that. We just stopped for a moment and Nancy asked, Amy, how are you feeling? And Amy just has this childlike smile on her face. and She says, oh, it's going to be okay. Oh, why do you say that? Well, when you were praying, I opened my eyes and God spoke to me. Oh, okay, thank you. (laughs) What did he say? Well, he said to me, Amy, do not fear. The demon is gone. You'll sleep at night. Do not be afraid and do not fear. And repeated those words. I love the thought that God called her by name. Amy, with all the abuse, probably even her mom abused her before, fetal alcohol, I don't know. She has a hard time remembering things very long. And she's illiterate, can't read. But she quoted in Romanian verbatim three times exactly what God spoke to her. And we knew, and ever since then, she's never been the same. I was, we we're back in the States just for a short a year. It's kind of the school year. And we'll move back to Moldova in August for another five years. And we had to go back for a couple of short, quick trips to get back to see the home and see the girls. And I, was, I remember January especially. January was a big one. I pulled in. She knew we were coming for three days before. Every time the doorbell would ring, she and Veronica would run to the door and, no, it's not them yet. 
We finally got to the door, and she's running out. She hugs Nancy. She comes and hugs me before I'm even out of the driver's seat of the car. And it was at that time that I realized that I was holding a miracle. You just realize, you ever have those little epiphanies? Wow. You realize what God has done here? I'll go back to this, for I know the plans I have for you. I am rich. I got to hold a billion-dollar item in my arms. The preciousness that is there. It has cost me a lot. It has cost me money. Every month, I've got to raise $4,500 to run the home. That's all the staff, all the girls, all the medical, all their food, all the Christian school we send them to. I mean, $4,500 a month. It cost me a lot of money. I've given money, um, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Oh, man, construction. I had midnight times. Once I had to go over at midnight and break up a fist fight with the girls, trying to think in Russian at that time. You know, what am I doing? So tired and sleepy. Blood, sweat, and tears. Sleepless nights. First year, I'd come home almost every night and say, Nancy, tell me again, why did we start this? Why can't I could have been doing something easy, you know, preaching a few times and going home. Cost me hair that I could not afford to lose. I mean, come on. Hey, this is precious. But I am richer because of all those things I gave. And I am going to challenge you as a church that sometimes, really, all the time, God's plans, His accounting system, really, His plans of prosperity are in things that you cannot measure with a dollar sign or a tangible item. His greatest signs of prosperity are in changed lives. The people that you invest in, the lives that you've helped see, that you've been a part of seeing changed by His grace and His mercy. That is God's bank account. For I know the plans I have for you, and it's that kind of prosperity. And God wants to use all of us. I don't feel comfortable doing this. I often joke and say I'm a founding member of the Fathers of Female Support Group. Okay, I've got a wife, three girls, even our dogs are females. I mean, we have a Schnauzer and a German Shepherd. All our dogs. I mean, sometimes, I, you know, you walk home, sometimes open the door, and the estrogen just oozes out, you know, knee high. I mean, what am I doing in here, you know? And as a guy, all, I still don't understand the female brain. All the women in here, you know, we're just, we're clueless sometimes, you know. Uh, I think God in his kind of warped sense of humor said, Andy, there's just not enough estrogen in your life. You need a whole ministry to more women and all the, the girls that are in there and their children are all girls at this point. I mean, come on. We can't even get a boy, baby in that home. But I am rich and because of this, even if I don't feel comfortable. I, you know, I'm clueless. I could, I'd much rather lead a Moose Hunters Anonymous support group, you know, a Cow Punchers Anonymous. I mean, I, that's the kind of things I can do. I don't know what to do other than love. I'm Uncle Andy there. I just love those kids and love those girls. And I talk in, talk really faith into their lives and say, this is what I see in you. I know what God's going to do in you. And I see something in you that maybe you never see yourself. That's all I can do. But when you're pushed beyond your comfort zone, our plans of prosperity are for our comfort. God's plans of prosperity are for our growth. They're mysterious. They stretch us. They change us. Not all the stories I want to share are just out of the home. I'll do one more story later. But there's a story I'll share. It happens in a village in Moldova. It's up north. It's in the city of Mihailen. It's a small uh, village up there. Actually, pretty good-sized village if you think of it. It's 7,000 people. This story ha- started decades before. I'm sitting in a church building that we were working on, doing construction on. And uh, had Vasily is the pastor of the church. And there's two other men and a couple of wives are sitting around. And we're just sharing. I said, tell me what your story. Vasily started the story 
by decades before, he said, there was a couple in this village that were the only Christians in this entire county. It was the, the Soviet days. It was against the law. Christians at that time, they could be imprisoned. Pastors are imprisoned. They wouldn't go to the university. No good jobs. And the police brought the man into the police station, and they put pressure on him to, to renounce his faith. Turn your back on Christ. It's an atheist country. My original Russian teacher, she has her diploma of atheism back from the Soviet Union days. Okay, that's what you had to get. He refused to do it, so they put a mark on his coat when they pushed him outside. When he got outside, the men, when they saw that sign, they kicked him, beat him, pounded him so much that he was bedridden for almost two years. I've, nobody knows how many bones in his body were broken because he never had an x-ray. Just severe abuse. Vasily shared that story, and then he said, that was my grandfather. My grandparents were the only Christians here. And growing up, I wanted nothing to do with God. I, did, I was your typical Moldovan. He said, I was drunk every day, every day of my life. I'd get up, I'd drink, I'd go out to the field, I'd work, I'd come back home and I'd drink. And I'd get up and I'd drink and I'd go back to the field and I'd drink. And one day as he's walking out to the field, there's a man from a neighboring village, a pastor, came over and was preaching in the street and was doing evangelism. And Vasily walked up, heard it. God sobered his mind just like that. He heard that and he accepted Christ that, that day. He said, my life was changed. I accepted Christ, gave my life to Christ right then. His wife did not really believe he was changed. So for the next few months until they got ready to do the water baptism, she would, every night she would ask to smell his breath to see if he'd been drinking. She thought, he's not, he's not going to stop drinking. I'm going to smell his breath. Now, in Moldova, we eat massive amounts of garlic. So this was a huge sacrifice on her part, I, I think. You know, she'd smell his breath. Okay, I guess another day. Come spring, they're going to do the water baptism. And Vasily's sharing the story. He said, and, at this time, a handful of people had accepted Christ, so we're going to do it at a lake right outside of town. The Orthodox priest didn't like this, so he told all kinds of lies. They're going to kill kids, and they're going to poison the water, and it's a cult. And, and he rounded up a busload of men to go disrupt the baptismal service. And so at that point, Vasily says, I'm going to pass it over now to Dima. You share your part. So the bus comes out there to disrupt the baptismal service, and Dima says, I was one of the guys on the bus to mess up the baptismal service. So I got out, and logically, what's the best way to kind of disrupt a baptismal service? Well, take off your clothes and get in the lake where they're doing the baptismal, right? I mean, that's exactly it. So I've asked many churches, many pastors, have you, have you ever had a naked guy jump in the baptismal tank while you're trying to do a baptismal service? So far, none, okay? I mean, that would definitely go down into all the history of the church. I mean, as long as there was not cameras going on, it would definitely be uh, laughed about for years. Well, Dima gets in there, and they kind of look at him and say, Hey, Dima, that's really nice. Would you mind moving a little farther down the shore? Well, Dima, something stops and goes, Well, these people are not really bad. They're kind of nice. So that, after he, that started him on a journey, both he and his wife started asking questions. Within six months at the most, both them accept Christ as their Savior. Their marriage had been falling apart. It all is saved and redeemed. Both of them come to Christ. And he's laughing. He kind of gets this embarrassed look. And then Peter behind me says, well, I'll share my part of the story. I was a bus driver that took him out there that day. I was drunk. I was a public bus driver, drunk every day of my life. I drank three tons of alcohol. He knew how much tons of alcohol he had drank in his 30 years of driving the bus. And he said, Dima got saved. And this other guy did come over to my house. And then they'd talk to me about Jesus. They'd pray for the meal. I'd look under the table. Who are you talking to? I mean, he didn't even understand prayer. No idea. And we sat in this room and they were all laughing, thinking about what God had done. Last August, we dedicated that church building. And the fun thing is it stands right across the street from where the police station was, where Vasily's grandfather was beaten for his faith. 
there's a church there today. God's desire of prosperity. He wanted to prosper that village by giving us a huge bank full of grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and kindness. God wanted to pour that on, his, on that village. And how does he do it? He takes a drunk guy. He takes a guy whose grandfather was beaten for his faith and he never saw any fruit for generations. He took a naked guy during the baptismal service, a drunk bus driver. Today, those guys are leaders in a church that's blessing that town. Isn't that awesome how God uses us? You know, really, I don't know your guys' stories. Some of you could say, I was a drunk, <laughs> God changed me, and here I'm serving. Or I was an addict, or my marriage was falling apart, or I was a messed up you know, businessman, and all I thought about was money. And God changed me. And you are one of those little components. I think that is one of the things I love. God's plans of prosperity take some strange little pieces. He puts all of us together. You know, carpenter's kid. Maybe that's your background. Maybe you've been fishing or working at home. God uses all of us somehow to change this world. Essie is one of the girls in the home. I love Essie. Not a typical story because she's not from a messed up family. Most come from very dysfunctional homes. But Essie's dad is a pastor. And she's the second oldest of a large family. I think about Essie. You know, I try to drive this home. These are your girls. These are my girls. Your granddaughters or my granddaughters or your sisters. I mean, you've got to think about it like that. These are our girls. It could be just like the person sitting right next to you. Essie decided to go to Moscow and work. She'd finished 10th grade, quit school, I think, at 10th grade, and went to Moscow to work at a restaurant, sent some money home, and came back. And it was a pretty good experience, so... After a few months, she decided I should go again. And a guy said, oh, I got a great work. You can make a lot more money to help you out your family this time. So her and a girlfriend went with him, and it was not what was promised. They got to Moscow. He took them outside, and he sold them into prostitution. They were drugged, forced into the forest outside of... During the day, they'd put them in the forest outside of Moscow. At night, they'd bring them out alongside the freeway. She screened them a virgin. They laughed and said, good, we'll get more money for you. Every night, every day, over every night, ten or fifteen men would abuse her, and, and she was forced into that for months. Three times they ran to the Russian police. Three times the police took them back to the traffickers. Finally, a family member came back, got her, got her back to Moldova. The media in Moldova got a hold of this, put it on the television, and said their name. I think even a picture. So they went into the village. The villagers looked and said, oh, I, I, "That girl, that's that bad girl." People in the church wouldn't talk to her, assuming that she was the bad one. Her parents couldn't even get the clue. Oh, it's really bad. She smokes. And we, Nancy wanted to go, who cares if she smokes? I, I mean, that's their coping. When you, you know, once it happens, they, there's all kinds of coping things just to escape. Dr- they do drugs afterwards just to escape the hell that they're locked into. And she couldn't get beyond any of these little surface things. And we said, your daughter is broken. And she sat in the home. And what do you say? I mean, what do you say to an Essie? Who are, her thought, she thought, I have no future. My dream was always to find a great guy, get married, maybe raise our family in the church. And everything she thinks is gone. What would you do? You know, I sat with her. You don't use Christian platitudes. Hey, Jesus loves you. It's all going to be okay. But I sat and I prayed with her. And I said, Essie, I have no idea. I just know that oh, Jesus still loves you. And... Um, 
I'm praying that somehow God redeems this. And we sat and we, we've wrestled for months. A good analogy that just came to me a couple months ago was that I saw a scene on a movie where the guy leans over the cliff and holds on to somebody. You know that one where they fall off? And they, oh, it seems like it's in about one of every ten movies. I don't understand this whole thing, but you know they repeat these scenes. The guy leaning over the cliff, holding onto the arm of the person. Sometimes they try to pull him up. Most of the time in the movie, they get them to safety. Every once in a while, ah, you know, it's Gollum and the Lord of the Rings or something. He falls to his death. Um, that is what the ministry is like. You spend years holding your arm over the edge of the cliff, Sometimes you feel like by a finger, just are they there? And you're so tired and you can hardly hold them on and you're holding on and you're holding on because it takes so long for them to find healing. With Essie, there was many times, I didn't even know she was at the end of our hand. We were holding on by a fingernail. Nancy, just this last fall, we had to come back to the States for one year and we, we just have to trust the staff that we have running the home and we just prayed, God, just do a miracle in her life. There was one church that took on Essie, her, her life. I love trying to find churches that will take on the home for one week and fast and pray, or, or one girl and just fast and lift that girl up. And they prayed for her because there were some times in these last months, I'll be real honest, I thought we lost her. It was pretty discouraging. You ever want to write a letter to a church? How are things going? How are things with Essie? Uh, I have no idea where she's at or if she's miserable. It's not what you want to do. I mean, it's kind of miserable doing that. You want to give these great joy, joyous stories. But it has, hers does have a good story. Because January, when we were back again, we walked in the home and we sat with a girl that had smiles on her face, peace in her heart. She's studying counseling. I had a little glimpse of that months before when she said to me, Uncle Andy, I kind of think maybe I'd like to s- study counseling. I thought, oh, wow, is God doing something in her? But in between time, we thought we lost her completely. But I came back in and I saw a girl that was so changed. She had joy. She had a peace that was back. Right now, as I speak, she's working at the home doing her practicum <laughs> for, the, for her counseling degree at the home, kind of backwards. And she looked at me and she said, Uncle Andy, is it true you're thinking of starting a home in Odessa, Ukraine? I said, yeah, we're dreaming about it. In fact, I'm, just this week, we're possibly purchasing the property to start the next home. It's fifteen or 20000 and we're going to try to do it and get this home purchase, built and reach all these girls that are trafficked out of Odessa, another big source country, a source area. And I looked at Essie and said, maybe you want to work there and serve there. And she looked at me and said, I would not be opposed to that at all. And I thought, God, you have done something. It's made it worth it. There are some days, and I could go into these stories, where I wanted to give up. I had a day one morning where I had to counsel an American man and his wife. I ended up kind of being a little defunct pastor of the international community. Um, and this man and her marriage was falling apart because he's using prostitutes. So I go from a, the demand side one morning, and you're trying to minister counseling, and the man was trapped just as much as these girls. He was trapped into some world of addiction. I spent an afternoon searching for a girl that a guy had taken out of the home and locked in his apartment and was selling for drug money, and I never found her. And there's times that I've wept, and I said, God, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this. Just send me back so I can go salmon fishing. (laughs) But you realize at the end, 
God's plans of prosperity are not for us to take the safe path. C.S. Lewis wrote a great series called the Chronicles of Narnia. I love Narnia. Um, There's a character in the story, he's Aslan, he's a lion. Very symbolic of Jesus Christ. And there's a quote I'd like to read out of this. Aslan is a lion, the great lion. And Susan, when she hears this, she says, oh, he's a lion? I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, the other replied. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I will stand here today and tell you, following Jesus Christ is not a safe journey, but he's a good God. God will take you to places that are beyond your comfort zone. But can I encourage you? This is a hard message. The Out of the comfort zone, we fight it, we battle it, we say, God, I don't want to do it. But the reward at the end is so worth it. When you hold the miracle in your arms, when you see a miracle change and transform, it is worth it. The journey is not always easy. It's like climbing the mountain outside of town. It's not easy when your legs are burning and everything is hurting and you say, give me the scooter to get down the hill. But the view from the top makes it worth it, right? In your lives, God wants to stretch you and change you. God wants to move you. Amy, the first girl I talked about, she was out to the village and family members just putting huge pressure on her. Come back, leave those evangelicals. You shouldn't be with them. They're a cult. And she said, I can't leave. I've never seen love like that before. No matter what I do, they love me. Old quote, old famous one I love. It's the call of every preacher. We're called to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Um, some of you have to comfort today. You know, I, I say that really in seriousness, comforting. There's some of you that I know, I've had too many people come up to me afterwards and say, That's, Amy's story is mine. Maybe not exactly, maybe I wasn't trafficked. But the abuse and the horrors and the the past. Maybe it's just as though you're a sinful past. And all those chains hold you back. You look at, hey, I, could, I could never do it because this is my past. This is what happened to me. I'm not worthy. This is what I've done. Instead, as Paul said, forgetting what is behind me, I press on to what is ahead. Forgetting what is behind. And I want to say to you today, in really all seriousness, you do have a future. You think you have no future, and there could be the one or two or half dozen or 20 here. God has a future for you. And maybe your past is shattered and you've done horrendous things. Welcome to the crowd. God is a God of forgiveness, and he will give you a future. So I say that because some of these stories that I share have brought up some tough memories, maybe in some of you. But for many of us, I need to afflict you. America, come on, folks, we are the nation of comfort. We say, entertain me, entertain me, entertain me. Another sports game, another, another movie. We are the nation. We love to drown this world and our hurts in entertainment. And you can forget about the hurting people sometimes just by getting lost. And I want to just kind of scrape off a little of that corrosion that's built over your heart and say, God, give me your heart of sensitivity again. I ask you a question. How would you, how would you pray if your daughter was trapped in Moscow? How would you pray or give or go? Does your son that was that drunk staggering across the village, what would you do? 
If your daughter was lost and you had no idea where she was at, how would you pray? How would you respond? These are God's kids. They're our kids. What can we do? I want to pray that God so stirs your heart. I'm not comfortable. I know I, I joke sometimes, and it's a serious subject, and sometimes it's the only way I can lighten it up a little bit. I'm not always comfortable in Moldova. You know, the food is all great farm food, good borscht and mashed potatoes and tomatoes. But every wedding, I'm going to have chaladets, and it's a big bowl of chicken fat jello, is what I call it, congealed chicken fat. You know, it just sits in the bowl and it has the consistency of jello. And I think, why would anybody want to eat it? Eat mine, you know. Um, or they have sala, that's a Ukrainian delicacy. It's just smoked pig lard, just the white lard, no meat on it, you know, and it's just nasty. You know, it's just. I'm not used to squatty potties. The squatty potty is just an outhouse with a hole in the floor. I mean, that's it. You know, I, and the sandpaper there is 220 grit or maybe 110. I mean, it's, it's, it's seriously. And it's not what you really enjoy. Um, I'm not always comfortable working at the home. I'm not always comfortable living overseas. I'm not always comfortable driving and corrupt police. I'm not always comfortable with that. But God wants to move you beyond your comfort zone to grow you. And God, I want to challenge you to that. I'm not comfortable raising that funds every month. <laughs> I'm not comfortable trying to pray for these girls when I don't know sometimes if I can keep going. I'm not always comfortable. But God has not called us to be comfortable Christians. He's called us to follow him. Follow him. Pick up your cross and die. So I say that to you today. It's easy for you to maybe walk out of here and drown in another cup of coffee, another dinner, another movie. But I want you to own one of those faces that you saw behind me. Have the worship team come if they could. Um, I'm just going to close. This is a, it is a, it's a heavy subject. Um, it's heavy because some of us would just prefer a safe God. Let me just be a you know, Sunday morning Christian. Let me just do the safe stuff. Lord, I don't want to sacrifice my resources. I don't want to sacrifice my heart. I don't want to sacrifice my time. But I need you guys to open your hearts. First of all, one, I can't do it myself. In fact, I can't, we can't do it unless we have hundreds and thousands of people praying. If this is a reminder for you to pray for those girls at the home, please do. If you want to keep up to date, I mean, please put your name down or email. We want, we need to have you pray. I need people that will say, I'll wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I'll pray when God leads it, puts it on my heart. And I need, we need people that are going to go around this world because not only is Moldova a source country, but we need homes open in Istanbul and Russia and Ukraine and the stands. We need people that are going to send missionaries. But all of us need to go and serve. There's hurting people right in your neighborhood. Maybe it's out of your comfort zone to do a VBS. Get uncomfortable. <laughs> maybe, it's un- maybe you're out used to working with street kids or you don't know how. I can't handle people when they have more tattoos you know, or earrings than I can count or they set off the metal detector. You know, I don't know how to do that. Or maybe they don't smell the way you do. Get uncomfortable. I don't care what somebody looks like. I don't care what color their hair is or how much they have or what kind of metals in- implanted in their body. You know, <laughs> I say those things because I see that in America this year. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what color they are, what religion they are. It doesn't matter if they're wearing a burqa or a little spot on their head and 
handing out the flowers at the airport. God's called you to love them. And if your neighbor's that way, can you go across the street and have a cup of tea with them, coffee? Can you talk to the alcoholic that lives down the street or the jerk that's at work that you can't stand? Can you love them anyway? Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Let's just stop for a moment and let me pray. God, I just ask that I know all my words are just that. They're just words or my human words, but you can really do something beyond what I can say here today. Lord, I do pray for those people in here that are hurting, that they need to be comforted, that there's some horrible memories that maybe have surged past and they feel that shame or condemnation. I pray right now that you'll minister to them, that there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And you will have a plan of prosperity and a hope and a future for each one of us. Minister the peace of God. That's beyond all understanding. And Lord, for many people here today, I pray that you afflict them. Lord, afflict each of us, that our heart may just be scraped a little raw again, that we will hurt for this world, that we'll hurt for the girls or in Moldova, or hurt for the girls that are trapped in Russia or Istanbul or Dubai right now as we sit here. Lord, we'll hurt for the drunks that are staggering across a village in Moldova, abusive to his wife and daughters. Lord, help us to hurt for those men that are trapped. Help us to pray and to serve in every way possible. God, I pray that you may make us uncomfortable that we'll go and we'll give and we'll do and we'll serve and we'll pray as if these were our girls. These are our sons and our daughters. Lord, I pray that you stir our hearts now. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. I'm going to turn it to the worship team in a moment. Why don't you stand to your feet? Um, You know, as they pray, as they lead us in song, we're just going to close here. And I know as they lead with a couple of songs, if you feel like you need to find a place of prayer, maybe you just need to give some stuff to the Lord. I think the front is open. You're welcome to find a place of prayer. The church here is comfortable. Let's take a moment and just wait in God's presence and let God speak to you or minister to you.
the Father.